0: Hey, how's it going? This is Matt here from Silver Fortune. So today, I want to take some time to talk about this chart right here, the S&P 500. Now, this is a daily chart, a one-day chart. We'll ignore the orange line here for a second, and I'll get to why I included that here. Uh, But what we are looking at here is that we have a a market, a stock market here in the United States, that despite quite a bit of bearish news today and this entire week regarding the U.S.-China trade deal... And a couple other topics I'll be getting to here today. Uh, we, we have a market that is rallying into the close on the week. Now, I'm recording this video about 30, 33 minutes as we, as we speak right now before the close in the market. So, you know, this could turn around. But as of what we're looking at right now, uh, the SP and the Dow Jones is rallying into the close. Again, despite. The fact that many people are, are wondering if the trade deal is is that in the water as well. As some other things I'd want to get to today. Now, we, we know. Oh, well, first of all, I'll start with this. For my longtime viewers, people that know my work, know me, and, and kind of what I'm about, you guys know that that I'm not some sort of tactical genius when it comes to the stock market. I'm not. Right I don't have the fancy algorithms and software that some of those big traders have, I'm not going to pretend to be some guy that can call the top or the bottom or know when a market's going to turn. That's not me with that being said, I want to go over some short term trends here that that really should lead us to believe that that this rally into the close here is is not going to last or shouldn't certainly shouldn't last. Long, and that there's a lot of, of reasons that this market should be heading down beyond just the classic ones that I'm always talking about here, like fundamentals, right? That, that uh, valuations are way too high compared to, to earnings. The fact that stocks over the last 10 years have been massively propped up by things like quantitative easing, low interest rates, stock buybacks, and maybe some more nefarious means, as if those weren't nefarious enough. I'm talking about things like plunge protection teams, central banks, etc. Those are all long-term fundamental reasons for the stock market to be at a much lower level than where it is right now, and for years, those reasons haven't mattered. They will, but they haven't yet. I want to focus on a couple ones that are more specific to this week, today, last couple weeks, even the last couple months, going back to when the market ultimately turned beginning in December. December 24th was actually kind of the low, and then stocks uh, ultimately turned around after the Christmas Eve massacre. So, starting off with this chart, I want to actually blow this up to a one year chart again. I've an orange line on here, and that's the u s ten year yield sorry for the pop up that's important here as well because that's kind of my first point here as to why this whole rally since december twenty fourth is perhaps founded on very shaky footing now u s bonds bonds in general they operate inversely to their yield, meaning when the yield goes down, what you're looking at right here the price is going up. And and the classic correlation, or inverse correlation between stocks and bonds, is that when stocks go up, bonds go down, and vice versa. Meaning, when stocks go up, yields should go up. In fact, you even see that today, a very nice pairing between these two. As stocks go up, so do yields. And yet, when you look at this one-year chart, you see that as the market begins to turn to the downside, all the way back here at the beginning of October, Bonds take a bit to realize it, but pretty quickly they catch on and they move to the downside, pretty significantly. We're talking all the way from north of 3.2 percent yield on the ten-year, all the way down to 2.5, 2.6 percent. Meaning money was flown into bonds; prices going up because of bear sentiment in the stocks. And since then, bonds are actually at a lower yield than they where they were on December 24th. Lower yield than where they were on the New Year today. We're talking about a yield in the 2.4 to 2.5 percent range. Prices have gone up, and and now again talking about long-term fundamentals. I'm not a big fan of U.S. Treasuries. I think that U.S. Treasuries, many sovereign bonds around the world, are in a bubble. I think that this next crisis very well could manifest itself as a sovereign debt crisis here in the United States and elsewhere. Same thing goes for corporate bonds. Corporate bonds, I I think, are are not a good value right now, and yet, when we're looking at it over a one-year time span, bond traders like this, even if I don't believe in it a whole lot in terms of an investment standpoint, they oftentimes do a better job of realizing when a market's overvalued or realizing long-term trends, whereas stock market traders tend to get focused on momentum, tend to get focused on the headlines, rather than the big picture. And so what we've seen here is that sometime in the middle of January, stocks and bonds decoupled. Bonds found resistance uh, to the upside or, or to the downside, I guess, support in terms of price, and their yields went sideways and then ultimately broke to the downside and currently are trading again around uh two point four seven percent. Stocks on the other hand went up like everything was was right in the world again. And as you can see with all these constant you know US trade Uh, deal with China headlines for for months here top out somewhere around the end of April, beginning of May. And now they've begun to reverse. And yet today, they're reversing again. Now, this is kind of my long-term, long-term in the sense of, of a couple months looking back, a reason to be bearish on the stock market right now. Now, yeah, I get it. The stock market could be wrong. But oftentimes, we've seen throughout history that the bond market is what gets it right. The bond market is what realizes... The true state of the economy, true state of earnings, true state of, of where the stock market should be. The stock market tends to lag behind that. And so, yeah, you know, you, you could say silver fortune, Matt, um, what if bonds just go down in price, up in yield? And, and what if it's stocks that are right? I get that. But again, a lot of this rally has been based on things like stock buybacks, on U.S. trade deal headlines, which, again, that deal may be dead in the water. Things like that. False hope, short-term hope, and and pumping up the stock market. I tend to think that at some point these stocks are going to correct to the downside. Reason number two, why to be really worried, and and this goes beyond the U.S. uh, stock market actually. This kind of goes into a global emerging market uh, uh, talk, and I want to specifically focus on Turkey and, and the Turkish lira, their currency. Now, I talked about a lot, a lot, in the second half of 2018, I talked a ton about emerging markets and the emerging market crisis that manifested itself in turkey maybe first and foremost but also in countries like brazil argentina argentina maybe was up there if not worse than turkey actually uh, south africa some southeast asian countries and on and on you see a lot of 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 weakening economies emerging market economies and currencies and then for a little while, they actually stabilized. You can see this. This is a five-year chart for the Turkish lira. It's not hard to figure out what direction this is going uh, to the upside, meaning their currency is getting weaker and weaker. Basically, right now we're talking six lira per U.S. dollar. Back in 2015, we we're talking about, you know what, at the beginning of 2015, about 2.3 per dollar. So weaker and weaker Turkish Lira, and, and Turkey in particular is maybe one of the larger emerging market currencies and one that's doing, been doing more poorly as of late. In fact, if we can go to a one-year chart here, as you can see, it's stabilized to some extent well above than where it was, but recently has been reversing to the upside in terms of, of the strength or lack thereof of the Turkish Lira. Now, this is important for two reasons. First of all, this is not isolated. Just like back in 2018, the collapse of the Turkish lira was also seen to one extent or another in countries like Brazil, South Africa, Argentina, and others. Now, the idea behind that, and my argument back then as to why it mattered so much, and why, or I'll remind you guys that when these these uh, emerging markets in, were really topping out and in, in, uh, in terms of, of the weakness of their currency, really in a rut, really in a deep hole. That was when the stock market was soaring. Everyone was saying things are, are great, right? That was shortly before their top, actually, right here. It wasn't until about October that the stock market ultimately topped and then uh, turned to the downside. These types of emerging market crises eventually work their way from the perf- periphery to the more central pieces of the financial system, the US, the EU, China, and others. Now, I said back then that despite some strength in the lira that we eventually saw, that this emerging market issue wasn't over, that it hadn't been resolved, in that the dollar liquidity squeeze, or the euro dollar squeeze, what some people have called it, uh, which is a whole nother topic that I haven't actually talked a whole lot about the Euro dollar, but but another very important thing to talk about that it wasn't done and that eventually emerging markets would again be squeezed. And again, we're seeing it in this chart right here. We can also see it. If I bring up something like, uh, let's say Argentine peso, I haven't really looked at this chart, but a similar story, more weakness in the Argentine peso. What charts you guys want to see next, right? We can look at, uh, let's see here. Uh, Brazilian real, similar story. Slowly moving to the upside, not as extreme as the lira or the the Argentine peso, but it's getting there, right? And we can go on and on with this. Um, You could look at uh, maybe like, we'll we'll look at uh, the Indonesian, or we'll look at the rupee. Um, Again, topped out a little bit later, still has yet to reverse significantly. Um, This chart's just going to be so crowded here in a second. But you can look at something like the, uh, let's see, where is it? The Indonesian uh, rupee. I know I I forget what the uh uh here we go. Falling pretty nicely with, with Indian rupee. But the but the point of this is that eventually you'll see these other emerging markets like Indonesia, uh the the uh Indian rupee, uh potentially the ruble, the South African Rand, I mean that'd be another one a good one to to bring up here in a second. You'll see those eventually catch up with what the uh Argentine peso and the Lira are doing. If if my thesis is correct, that this emerging market crisis just started at the end of two thousand eighteen, it's been taking a bit of a. Breather. But if you look at, at Turkish data, economic data, their inflation, it was very apparent. It's just that it wasn't getting as many headlines as it was back in, say, August 2018 when you see this massive explosion in terms of, of the, the devaluation of the uh, Turkish lira. We'll look at... Uh, South African Rand, again, kind of similar story. Since its bottom and or you know, top, I guess, in, in February, it's slowly been moving to the downside. So this is something to watch for. And again, I think it's going to work its way from periphery to the core. That was the number of reason one. I said there's two reasons as to why this is important with Turkish lira. The other one is foreign banks and their exposure to the Turkish lira, specifically like Spanish banks and then some other European banks. Now, you know, ideally. They would have been able to to get out of these these really risky positions in in Turkey uh, in like September or or even before that ideally I guess but in September November etc. That time span this long time here they would have been able to to reduce their exposure to Turkey's uh, economy and their financial system and the lira and I'm sure to some extent you know different different banks institutions were were uh, successful in doing that. But as a whole, the exposure to the U.S. dollar or to the Turkish layer system remains very high among European banks, Spanish banks in particular, I think it is, uh, but probably French, Italian ones as well. I think it was Spain, though. Uh, and eventually, if you continue to see this blow up, which I think you will, again, the trend here is is clear as day, right? If we go all the way back to 2009, I mean, it's, it's so obvious where this is heading. There's going to be pain in, in I think, some of these banking systems, Uh quite a bit of losses and, and quite a bit of instability. And, and that's part of the reason that I think we're going to see this trend of periphery to the core. So the next thing I want to talk about, why to be questioning this rally right here, is U.S.-China trade deal. Now, I haven't paid attention to the latest headlines regarding the, the U.S.-China trade deal. They go back and forth. Uh, but this is something I talked about um, what Was it, earlier this week, I think, talking about how we can't look at the trade deal as if it's in some sort of a vacuum. US China relations extend beyond the trade deal into topics like the South China Sea, Taiwan, North Korea, and others. And specifically, I want to focus on North Korea. Now, we got news this one's from NPR. Uh, US takes control of North Korean sanctions bust in ship. And by the way, if you if you want to check out good charts like these, the, the program I use or that website is just tradingview.com, uh, so shout out to them. But this is uh, important. U.S. authorities seizing a uh, North Korean ship that was attempting to evade international sanctions by shipping coal out of North Korea. It's one of their major exports, or has been historically. Another headline here, North Korea in full combat posture after second missile launch in a week. Now, it's not their ICBM. It's not their long-range missile. It's their shorter-range missile. But, you know, some analysts have actually been wondering, you know, this, this missile actually bears quite a bit of resemblance to some uh, short-to-medium-range uh, uh, Russian missiles that, that actually are, are pretty sophisticated. Uh, and again, it's a, it's another provocation by North Korea. It's not a coincidence that they're doing this right around when we're seeing a whole lot of talk regarding the, the China trade deal. I think China knows that if Trump can resolve the North Korean issue, that that's a win for him. Whatever that looks like, denuclearization or a path to it, that is a win for Donald Trump as he moves into a 2020 election. Sure, there's going to be some neocons that that are going to be uh, absolutely obsessed with trying to go to war with North Korea or, or keeping tensions high in the peninsula. And of course, I think many people, uh, American Uh, population and and in the West in general could easily be swayed into a war with North Korea but if he can de-escalate it that's a huge win for him I think China knows this and if they can allow North Korea to provoke the United States into potentially ramping up tensions again on the peninsula that's going to be seen as a a failure by, by Donald Trump but this is a dangerous game we're talking about here we're talking about potentially millions of lives on the peninsula and elsewhere We're talking a potential very large conflict that is always at risk of a miscalculation by either side, and 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 again, I think this is this should be bearish news, right? When we see these these markets trade on these headlines of oh look at this, you know, the the trade deals, and and look at this, you know, almost (laughs) as quickly as I started talking, the market's been moving a slightly bit to the downside, but. As much as the market moves up or down, uh, based on on news of of China, Chinese delegates meeting with Trump or or White House delegates, and and then the, the talks aren't working and whatnot, uh, things like like a, a, a missile launch by North Korea should be moving the markets just as much because we can't view this in isolation. It's not in a vacuum, and and a missile launch by North Korea should be just as big of news as. Some headline from uh, the White House regarding the trade deal. So, th- again, this is take this as a signal as the trade deal isn't working. And finally, this is kind of the big black swan risk right now uh, in the world. And and you know, it's it's maybe more of a gray swan because of how much media has been hyping it up, how much they've been talking about it. But this is, of course, this is from Zero Hedge. What would be a, a weekly wrap up video from Silver Fortune without a Zero Hedge article? But this is talking about again the the uh, risk in in the Middle East between the United States and, and Iran, the potential for a war. These tensions continue to ramp up, with the U.S. threatening to consider sailing a a uh, aircraft carrier through the Strait of Hormuz. Now, in fact, maybe I'll give you guys a, a bit of geography here. We'll go to Google Maps. Google Maps, Strait of Hormuz. Now, why is this important? This is a Strait of Hormuz right here, all right? We'll zoom out here to to give you an idea of where we're looking at right here. So this is Iran up here to the north. Qatar, Qatar, however you say it, right here. Uh, UAE, United Arab Emirates, right there. And this is the Persian Gulf. So what you have is you have Bahrain, Qatar, Qatar, whatever, UAE, much of Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Iraq, and Iran. All need to ship a significant amount of their oil or natural gas through this strait right here, and in the past, Iran has threatened to shut it down. Right, it's it's a fairly small, it's a bottleneck, right? And they've threatened to to shut it down, only allow ships through that they want to allow through. Now, it, it's not hard to to understand why that would be a risk to U.S. interests. Not only are many of these countries our allies, but what is maybe one of the most unpopular things to happen during a president's time in the White House? It sounds simple, but gas prices to go up, right? Uh, a $1, $2, $3 hike in, in, in gas prices per gallon. Uh, consumers hate that, and, and, and that's also a strain on the economy, and so the last thing they want is for Iran to, to play uh, a, a bully or, or whatever you want to call it um, and, and, and seize control of the Strait of Hormuz. Now, I don't know if Iran has the capabilities of doing that long-term, maybe against regional foes, but, but certainly not against the United States long-term. But it's, it's something they threaten to do, and maybe more importantly, I won't be surprised if it's the media hyping up these threats of them doing that. And now the U.S. is potentially going to sail a... Uh, a, a Aircraft carrier through here, and that's what this article relates to. An Iranian cleric threatening to destroy it with a missile. And in fact, you know, reading some different articles, you know, some different defense experts actually, you know, as much as as Iran is behind the United States in terms of military technology and capabilities, they they do have some strengths, and one of them is missiles. Now, could they sink an aircraft carrier? It's hard to say if they have those capabilities, but there's a risk. I think um, their their aircraft, their uh, air defense, their you know, conventional weapons on the ground—all of those things, you know, really probably cannot be matched by, uh, can easily be matched by the United States, easily overcome. But the threat to something like an aircraft carrier by Iran—I mean, imagine the the moral uh, uh, significance of that, not to mention the strategic significance of, of sinking or damaging a U.S. aircraft carrier. So, I mean, those types of threats, uh, neocons like John Bolton, I think, just love it. They just love it, right? You know, reported by Iran's ISNA news agency, right? They love it when when clerics like this, these these radicals or whatever you're going to call them in Iran, come out and make these types of threats, right? Same thing goes for for the whole death to uh, Israel or death to America, whatever it is. They love it. They eat it up. They love broadcasting these types of things. I'm not calling Zero Hedge neoconservative. I'm talking about a lot of the, you know, the John Bolton types that that do just that. Uh, but in reality, you know, going back to my video the other day talking about Iran-U.S. relations, um, I have no sympathy for this cleric. I have no sympathy for for Iran or the regime. Not a fan of them at all. I don't want to live in Iran. I, I'm I, I'm not gonna go so far as to say that the mainstream media is totally wrong about them and that it's it's a it's a a safe haven of freedom and and rights and and economic freedoms and religious freedom it's not I'm sure it's not but it doesn't mean I'm automatically gonna side with the United States and and you know there's been you know go again I, I think I talked about in that video go to one of Chris Duane's recent videos uh, about Iran in which he plays these different videos talking about these neoconservative nut jobs talking about you know carrying out a false flag to get us into war with Iran right and, and in fact this this article even talks about it uh they uh they call it what the b team let's see uh regarding uh, i think that was in reference to uh john bolton and others i don't know if they have it in this article or if it's a different one john bolton i think they had some other ones that they call uh, you know part of the the b team i think mohammed bin salman and some others uh that that are potentially going to start a War in in a, in the Middle East over some sort of a false flag, All right? And so, this is as I said, this is a uh, this is another gray swan, if you want to call it that, regarding the stock market and why they should be watching this. Because if if this turns into a hot war in the Middle East, you have to understand the implications implications of that. We're talking about potential U.S. losses in the region, maybe ships, maybe aircraft carrier, maybe planes. We'll see. Russ talking about the potential for other U.S. forces in the region being at risk, including those in Syria or Iraq, because there are quite a bit of Iranian proxy forces and Iranian forces in the Middle East beyond just Iranian borders. Mm-hmm. Saudi Arabia and other countries could get kind of roped into this. Israel almost certainly would be right. The potential for something like a missile strike on Israel. In fact, I saw an article talking about you know uh, this this recent. Uh, uh, attack from from hamas and i think it's the gaza strip against israel these are rudimentary rockets and they fired some couple hundred of them and the iron dome was able to intercept quite a bit of them but there's a lot that were allowed through imagine a more sophisticated missile launched from iran and that would be potentially be a threat to israel i mean you have to understand that if this goes into a hot war the oil market's going to melt up like overnight And the potential for a much, much larger regional conflict involving Israel, Hezbollah, Hamas, Assad, Saudi Arabia, uh, uh, Turkey, Russia, United States, and others. It goes through the roof, right? Uh, Certainly not something I want. You guys know I'm a bit of a hippie. Not really, but but I'm not a fan of these types of of wars or or the potential for them. But also regarding the, the stock market, this is... This is not a good situation to be in, especially when when uh it certainly looks overbought and at very high valuations, even with you know the last week's worth of of sell offs still very high valuations so anyways, I hope you enjoyed this video, kind of going into Friday, as you noticed you know this is my friday wrap up video not really any mention of of gold or silver because they haven't been doing a whole lot. And I talked about them earlier this week, and and you guys will get plenty of them next week. But as always, if you have future topics, questions that you would like answered or discussed here in the channel, let me know down below in the comment section. As always, thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for watching this video, listening to this podcast, and God bless.